right, all things new. We're going to jump right into it. Mark chapter 1, verse 29 to 30, 31. We're going to read. I'll have it on the screens, and, and you can follow along with, you, with me here. It says, the Bible says, After Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, they went to Simon and Andrew's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. They told Jesus about her right away. So he went to her bedside, took her by the hand, and helped her sit up. Then the fever left her, and she prepared a meal for them. So Mark continues to walk us through the early stages of Jesus' ministry. He brings us something this time, though, that we're kind of familiar with, something that we can relate with, okay? We see something as simple as what you would call a fever, all right? We're coming from a previous passage where God, Jesus, is operating in all sorts of supernatural events where you got this man with a the, with the, with the bad spirit coming to Jesus and an unclean spirit, as the Bible calls it. And, and we see Jesus operating in supernatural things, but he encounters something that tends to be common to a lot of us. We're told that Jesus enters the home of Simon, a.k.a. future Peter, and Andrew with James and John and Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a fever. In that culture back in the day, something that we probably don't like to allow in our culture today or we don't look up to so much, several generations will live under the same roof. They would come together. As was evidently the case here, this would have made Simon's mother-in-law the main resident of the home. And if you know anything about anything, when a mother-in-law is in the house... Got to be careful what I say next, right? I got to think through that. All right, let me get back to what I wrote down, right? It's better. This is safe here. Now, I love when my mother-in-law comes to town. You know, did Rosie really have to walk up here when I was getting ready to talk about my mother-in-law? Where were you? You were somewhere else. And look, oh, man, how did you know? How did you know? No, but <laughs> yeah, that's funny. All right, sorry. So... <laughs> Uh, so if you know anything about anything, you know that it was in her heart to serve. Like, I, I love my mother-in-law's cooking. You know, she's, she's great. She comes over, and it, it, her cooking is amazing, you know. But the fever had taken over uh, Simon's mother-in-law here, and, and, and she was literally, I guess, uh, she was incapable of doing what she felt called to do. Jesus is told right away, and he heals her, and she promptly does what a mother-in-law does. She begins to serve. She begins to cook a meal. She just loves that, all right? She falls right into it. It's as if she knew the reason why she was being healed. Instantly knew that there was a purpose behind the event that just took place in her life. She says to herself, I'm healed. This is not for me to keep to myself. In other words, it's time for me to put this healing to work. However, there's a principle that I don't want us to miss this morning. In fact, I would like for us to focus solely on that this morning because many times we like to think that what takes place in our lives is only for us. We pray for God to do amazing things and intervene on our behalf through miracles, through supernatural intervention, okay? And when that takes place in our life, we actually believe that that only happened for us. Yes, it's my prayer, Moises. Of course it happened for me. I needed healing. I needed financial intervention. I needed all these things to happen. And while those things are beneficial to you, it didn't just happen just for you. 
As we see her response, she begins to do something for someone else in her condition. Jesus just healed her, and she goes on to serve. Not only that, but let's let's look at verse 32 to 34, which is where I want us to focus this morning. That evening after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered where? At the door to what? To watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. But because the the demons knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. Now imagine how Simon must have felt for a second here. Think about it for just one second. He's been blessed because Christ came into his home and even healed his mother-in-law. Okay, but notice also what happens. A lot of other people showed up that didn't expect to be there. Simon is probably thinking, okay, what is going on right now? This miracle was supposed to happen only for me. Only my household was to be affected by what was taking place. But now all these people are coming out from everywhere. What do I do now? People that he wouldn't normally welcome He was forced to welcome them or took it up on himself to make the decision to welcome those people. And I feel like this describes a lot of our lives in faith. I want you to ask yourself this question this morning. What percentage of what happens to us is actually for us? What percentage of what happens to us is actually for us? Because let's face it, who really wants their home to become a destination for demonic and deceased people? We just experienced healing. We're good. We're getting ready to eat. And here come the demons and the diseases. Open the door, honey. Let them in. You know, I I have told the story many, many times because I I, I wanna bring you an idea of of what what I experienced growing up is my dad got married to my mom at a very early age and they bought a house in a a town about an hour away from the entire family and he took 20 folding chairs with him. You've heard the story in the carport. He started a church. He would set out these chairs. Me and my brother were the first members of the church. You know, we voted him in. He said, that's our pastor. He's gonna be our guy forever, okay? And, 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 and he would preach, and, and it was great, and it was, it was a great time. You know, it was unanimous vote, right, Eddie? We were all like, yes, that's our guy. But I, I say all that to say that I, I witnessed my dad open this door to his home, and, and I saw him buy the land next to his house, and I saw him out there with the construction guy building the house from found, the, the, the church from the foundation up, and, and, and us power that, and, and, and while that was great for the community around them, I was also able to witness how hurtful it was for our family internally. While the community pour into my house, I remember the young adults at the kitchen when I was a little boy sitting there talking to my mom like young adults do in my house now. I remember that. I can't forget that. They would sit there and come over and hang out. And while that was a blessing for the community and my parents were called to that moment, it affected the living space of my personal home because of that open door policy. It's a reality that's twofold. If you've been in ministry for a long time, you understand that in order to effectively make an impact, it's a wide open concept, all right? And in many ways, 
as well as it was a blessing for the people of the community, internally for my family, it struggled. Even my mom to this day, I call it that she has a little PTSD of ministry because of the things that she suffered throughout it. Some of you sit here today coming from backgrounds at the church, and you, you have a little bit of difficulty overcoming some challenges where you may say, I'm not all in all the way because where I come from, you should have seen the things that I experienced and the things that I dealt with. But I want us to comprehend one thing this morning, that the way we live our lives will be prominent to our call because our life experiences in the faith are twofold. They are meant to grow our faith and bless us, but they are also meant to help others and build the faith of other people around you. Don't look at the things that happen in your life and how God steps into your life as a single moment of event for your personal life only. Understand that what is taking place in your life will have an effect on you personally and also have an effect on the people around you that are close to you. I have to understand that as I sit here and preach this word, as I go through the season of life with my family, it's going to affect my wife. It will affect my son. It affects my niece, my nephew, my brother, the people that are with me in the church. Everything takes place as a twofold scenario. This is where I usually lose all the introverts in the room. They're like, uh-uh, not me. I lock my, I got two bolts on my door. I keep my door real lock. You know? You're like, Matthew 5.14 says, you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Okay? We all read this and say, that's for the church. But the scripture says, you are the light of the world. Okay? You. You're like, yeah, but I'm part of the church. You know, that's what it means. No, no. You are the light of the world. Okay? Charles, Charles Purgeon said this, the Bible is not the light of the world, it's the light of the church. But the world does not read the Bible, the world reads the Christians. You are the light of the world, he said. Amen? When Jesus touches our lives, it's often to attract those around us who need a familiar touch or even a greater touch of him. In which case, we need to be prepared and willing to welcome those people who knock on our door. The Lord doesn't want his work in our lives to be confined to our lives only. But it is to become the basis by which others can be blessed by him as well. Friends, we sometimes act selfish with the things that we get from God. In Christ... If Christ has touched you or your family, you don't shut the door on that. Be open and hospitable to let those in need and seeking, despite their current challenges or disease they may be battling with personally. There is no such thing as you're not good enough to accept this message. You open the door. If God, Jesus, was able to change you, then he's able to change them. Amen? We must open the door to our lives. I don't know what that looks like to you personally, but we have to open our door to our lives. If you don't know by now, I'm a pretty transparent person. I pride myself on that. My wife will tell you I don't always do it well. But I want to make sure that no one who has access to my life ends up missing a life-changing part of what, of what impact God can do in their life as well. 
First John 5.10, the beginning of that, of that verse says, those who believe in the Son of God have the testimony of God in them. You carry something within you that is unique to you. You have that testimony that carries around with you. The message translation, which is just a commentary, says it like this in 1 Thessalonians 1.8. It says, your lives are echoing the master's word, not only in the, in the provinces, but all over the place. The news of your faith in God is out. It says, we don't even have to say anything anymore. You're the message. You're the message. Amen. God has given all of us a life message to share because when he became, when we became believers, guess what we also became? We became God's messengers. You and I became God's messengers. God wants to speak to the world through you. Paul said, we speak the truth before God as messengers of God. We all have a storehouse of experiences. Don't tell me that not enough has taken place in your life. You have a storehouse of experiences and a group of people surrounding you that could benefit from those experiences. People in need who need to hear the, the testimony, the word. In the story, we read the entire town gather at the door to watch. Now, Peter had two choices, friend. Peter had two choices. Peter could have said, no, we're closed, man. We're, we're getting ready to have dinner. Like, come back tomorrow. Let me put you on the schedule. Let me look at the schedule, and then I'll let you know if we could get together. Or he could have opened the door and allowed others to be a part of the blessing. The gospel we believe in is an inclusive gospel, not an exclusive gospel. And I think we missed that point in a lot of ways in our lives. We build our group and we think that group is exclusive to our faith. And we hang around those people and we make those people part of our lives and we allow those people to get in and, and hear our testimonies and the things and we build each other's faith. That's great. I love it. I love hanging around with common faith believers, friends of mine. But this is an inclusive gospel. You say, Moises, Jesus targeted ministry. He would avoid certain people. He would minister to certain people. He would do this, and then he would do that. But when Jesus targeted ministry, it was in order to be effective, not exclusive. He had a point and a purpose in mind. Now, I'm going to get practical with you this morning and explain how our lives in Christ, it has at least a three-part message that we can all expect to have an effect on others outside of ourselves. You may say, Moises, I have nothing to share with anyone. And I'm going to tell you, you at least have three things that you have if you've been in relationship with God. Number one, your testimony. The story of how everything began. I, I, it, should look, it should sound something like this. When I was 14 years old, I was in Miami, Florida in middle school. And I turned away from my ways. That faith I grew up in, Eddie and I looked at ourselves and said, not for us right now. Miami's nice, man. We like it here. And from 14 to about 18 years of age, I just walked away from God. Four years that seemed like an eternity for my life. The experiences that I had in that, in that four-year period felt like I lived 30 more years. Then I came to God. That testimony, your testimony is the story of how Christ has made a difference in your life. 
Peter tells us that we were chosen by God to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he has made in our lives. You're like, no, that hasn't happened in my life. Yes, it has. Yes, it has. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. Witnesses to what? In a courtroom, a witness isn't expected to argue the case or press for a verdict or prove the truth of what took place. The witness, the job of that is the attorneys. The attorneys are responsible to prove all that. The witnesses are simply there to report what happened to them and what they saw. Amen? The Bible doesn't say you will be my attorneys. It said you will be my witnesses. You have a story to tell. You have a story to share. I know this because I'm the pastor and I meet with you guys. And I hear those stories all the time. They're great stories. Now, why is this so important? Because even though you may not believe it, there's no other story just like yours. So only you could share it. And if you don't share it, that story is lost forever. You're like, my life is not that important. I believe it is. Because it's hard to argue with someone's testimony. Our personal testimony is way more effective than any sermon I could ever preach. I told you before, pastors are known as professional salesmen. Okay? I'm up here reading the Bible, throwing the scripture up on the screen. I prepare myself for this, okay? I'm known as a professional salesman. Your personal testimony is what makes you a satisfied customer. You are these, the, the faith of God. You are the Google review. You get to tell the experience. You get to say, this is what happened to my life. Type in the Google review so others can read it. It sounds silly, but we apply this principle to other things. We have a bad experience somewhere. Man, wait till I get home. You know, I'm going to light them up on the review. And the same is true when we have a good experience. But our testimony is what gives this message credibility, friend. Your life experience and how you have experienced this faith is what gives this message credibility. Okay? Unbelievers will probably lose interest if you start quoting theologians to them. But they have a natural curiosity about experiences that they've never had. I, I wrote this statement down because it caught my attention. Shared stories build a relationship bridge that Jesus can walk across from your heart to others. It builds a connection. It relates. It allows people to have access to something. Whoa, I didn't think I had access to that. You really went through that? You really experienced that in your life? And before you know, you're building people up. I know because when I speak up here, people remind me of things that I forget about that I said that impacted their lives. I write a sermon and people will come up to you and say, Moises, one day I was sitting there and you said this and that. I'll even say, I said that. But it was for them. It impacted them. It brought them up. It created the bridge to their heart. Many people will not accept the authority of the Bible, but they will listen to a humble personal story of ours. This, this is why on six different times you see Paul, he uses his personal experience and his personal testimony to share the gospel instead of introducing it through the Bible. 
As a church, we are always ready, always joyful, always full of peace. And those are great things for us to experience within ourselves. But we have to be ready to talk about it. We have to be able to share that with other people. We believe in an inclusive gospel, not exclusive. Others need to hear. There's a reason why you encounter those people in your life. You ever been at the grocery store, said hi to someone, and felt the need to say something to them? I've walked away from that experience many times and not done what I felt called to do at that moment. 1 Peter 3.15 says, instead... You must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always, always be ready to explain it. Yeah, not me, not it. You say, well, what's one of the best ways to explain this truth? How, Moises, what can I do? How can, what can I say? I I'm not a good communicator. I I'm not, you know, I'm not called to that. You know, you're, you, you speak up there and you're able to share the word. And there's other people that are able to do that. But I'm not, I'm not that person. Well, it, it, you can make it very simple. I wrote four points up there. You could say, what was my life like before I met Jesus? And write these things down. How I realized I needed Jesus. I, I told the guys to put this up how I committed my life to Jesus, and the difference Jesus has made in my life. It's that simple. What was my life, my, my life like before I met Jesus? How I realized I needed Jesus? How I committed my life to Jesus and the difference Jesus has made in my life? Some of those things could be just practical and impactful, and if you share them with others, you think, my testimony have no, it has no punch voices. You talk about, you were part of this, and you did that, and your dad was this, and it doesn't matter. I've said it before, your story is not for everyone, but it is for someone. Now, different situations call for different testimonies, and I understand that, and that's when number two comes into play. Number two is your life lessons. These are the most important lessons God has ever taught you. The things that you have been through in life. These are the lessons and insights we all learn about God so far in our lifetime and in the process we have had with him in our ups and downs of life, relationships, problems, temptations, other aspects of our lives. David prayed, God, teach me lessons for living so that I could stay the course. Knowing that we are all in a process with God, living this thing out. But sadly, we don't always tend to learn from the things that have happened to us. Once those things happen, we, we can't wait to get over them. And when we get over them, we try to forget them as quickly as we can. Especially the difficult ones. Especially when we're smacked down in the middle of the problem. Man, we want to get over that home so quickly and never think about it again, not realizing that God may be building a testimony within us that's going to impact lives around us. It's a selfish perspective that only affects us. We see it in the life of the Israelites. In fact, the Bible says in different translations over and over again, God rescued them and they never learned, the Bible says. Until finally their sins destroyed them. I love this quote by Albert Einstein. He said, learning is an experience. Everything else is just information. What are you learning through that process? And how is that process 
being applied to other people around you that could benefit from it. We're too um, single-minded when it comes to our lives. We think that what happens to us only affects us. No one can benefit from it. Nobody wants to hear my problems. Nobody could get anything out of this. I suffer so much from this. I don't want to recall it. I don't want to go back to it. But there's a popular saying that says, a smart person learns from their own mistakes, but a wise person learns from the mistakes of others. You're smart, but I'm asking you to be wise. And how can someone even attempt to be wise if you decide not to share? If you keep the story to yourself. If you say, hmm, this story just doesn't apply. Proverbs 25, 12 says, a warning given by an experienced person to someone willing to listen is more valuable than gold rings or jewelry made out of, finest, out of the finest gold. And we are really good about sharing the positive testimonies. We all want to share the testimony to get to the end. We all want to tell everyone of how God provided and how everything worked out. But we don't want to humble ourselves and lead others through the experiences of our past failures. I've I, I known many pastors that lead this way. They bring people in when the victory is at hand. When it's tangible. When we could celebrate. Everything else is quiet until there's a reason to celebrate. Not realizing that in that process they're missing out on helping others go through the struggles that they're experiencing personally now. A little humility sometimes to get down on and say, guys, we're struggling. Things are different. I don't know what's happening in my life. I don't understand why God is putting us through the process that's putting, that he's putting us through. Understanding that our experiences and failures have an impact not only in our lives, but in the lives of those who can benefit from them. I understand that there's a lot of wins in our lives to talk about. But sometimes others need to understand that the, vi the valleys that they're currently facing are surrounded by mountains. That the only reason why our valley exists is because there's a mountain to the right and a mountain to the left. And there's only one way up. Our life lessons aren't really about us at the time we're sharing it with other people. Let us not obsess with the flattery that comes from our story. Mm. Genuine, healthy, deep, meaningful relationships are built on honesty, not flattery. Flattery is a sign of manipulation. Not a sign of somebody who is genuinely your friend or even is really looking out for your best interest. Failures in our lives are not an option for us. Realize that the failures that you experienced in life were your necessity. It wasn't a bad season where the devil won. Where the devil got away. But I'm going to pray harder. So the devil doesn't get any ground on me. No, no, no. There was failures and difficult seasons in your life that were a necessity for you. That were a necessity for us. Down moments of our lives that were difficult to experience and difficult to overcome. But they were needed and much needed in our lives. Man, are you out there? And we should share them this way. Because it's, it's, it's going to be really difficult, guys, to experience God's fullness in our perfection. Man, I know you're perfect. I know you're good. 
man, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know. You got a lot of experience. You, know, you got it all figured out. I get it. But it's going to be real difficult to continue to experience God in that perfection. Because our most meaningful experience in life will be experienced through some of our most difficult moments in life. Sadly, we were just talking in the back. Someone said that's just the way life is sometimes. Why is that? Because perfection goes against dependency. Limitations in our lives, as difficult as they may be, should be gratefully accepted as a sign in our lives of God's call on our souls. He wants something from you, and he's super interested on building you into the man and woman he created you to be. Because we love to look good, to look for God's will in our lives through blessings and divine purpose. But what if we also found God's will in our lives through our limitations? You're like, no, no way. No way. There's no way God limits me so I could depend on him. Really? Think about that for a second. Let's go to number three. So your testimony, your life experiences, and your godly passions. Your godly passion. What is that? The different things that God shaped you to care about. For example, my godly passion is studying the word of God and figuring out an effective way to apply it practically into our lives. I like the, the, the sense behind it, the practicality of diving into the word. When Proverbs chapter 5 says, lack of self-control will kill you. I want to know why and how that works and what causes that and what does that come from and how can I practically apply that and teach it. That is one godly passion, but you may have others. You were created different, not just to be different, but to make a difference. Our God is a passionate God. There are things he likes, things he loves, things he hates. And as we grow closer to him, he will give us a passion for things that he cares about deeply so we can become spokesperson of this word and this gospel. You're like, why do I care so much about this? Why am I so passionate? Have you ever talked to a fellow believer and he tells you what he's into and you're just like, oof, I don't see it, but man, good luck with everything, you know? It happens because God places in all of us a God-driven passion that comes directly from him to you for a purpose. Why is this so important for us to highlight and comprehend? Because it is hard to keep ourselves from talking about the things we care about most. It's sad when we get around somebody that we don't care too much about what they're talking about. They're passionate about what they're talking about. And you just have to sit there and listen to them. But it is their passion. God has placed that in their heart. Proverbs 16, 9 says, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. David said, my zeal for God and his work burns hot within me. Jeremiah said, your message burns in my heart and bones and I cannot keep it silent. So if there's something that you're passionate about, talk about it. Share it with others. Don't belittle what God has done in your life and the zeal that he's given you for something. Move forward in that. God uses passionate people to further his kingdom. In your relationship with God, you can expect things to happen in this way. You may feel moved to start a new church in Waxhaw. Don't do it now, but you know what I mean. 
build healthier families, financial, financially fund programs, train other leaders, reach people in need, be the right influence in the business world, work with teenagers through, through sports, and, and so on and so forth. The point is that God will give us different passions so everything he wants to be done in the world will get done. But we don't get to pause that. And we shouldn't expect everyone's passion to be our passion, friends. That's what makes us different. We're stronger in our differences. That is something you learn in marriage after you've been married for a long time. It's not about the same Netflix show you enjoy, okay? It's in our differences that we become strong. Similarities are overrated. If you could figure out how to operate in your differences, you could accomplish so much more. You just have to know that if there's a need in front of you, that need has been placed in front of you because you have been called to that moment. I, I'm a firm believer in that. You're like, well, you're getting all spiritual on us here, saying all these things. I really believe that. I believe that if you're in front of that moment and you're able to identify that moment of need, it's because God has placed you there for a reason. Don't ever belittle yours or someone else's godly passion. Galatians 4.18, the beginning of that verse says, it is fine to be zealous provided the purpose is good. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good. I'll finish with this. Ultimately, all of us end up becoming an extension of, of God's good news. What we do in God, how we express our testimony, the stories that we share with other people, how we express this godly passion that he's deposited within us eventually becomes an extension of the good news. In other words, none of it should ever have a counter effect towards the message. What message? The message of salvation. So while opening the doors to your home or to your life may be personal and may be about who we are, we need to make sure that it doesn't take away from who he is. Because we could tend to be the biggest obstacle to this gospel. We see here in the passage in verse 34, even Jesus said, because the demons knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. He didn't want people to focus too heavily on his miracle and, the and in the process miss the most important part, which was the message. What message? The message found in Romans 1.17. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. A gospel, a message found in 2 Corinthians 5.19. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us the wonderful message of reconciliation. That is the message. That is why we do what we do. That is why we open the doors to our lives so others can see just that. But it all starts with your love. You will never do this unless there's true love within you. Because he hasn't created anyone he doesn't love. Man, I'm going in here. Whenever you feel indifferent about your mission in the world, Spend some time thinking about what Jesus did on the cross for you. Fear never saved anyone from, from dying, but love will. 
I will run into a burning building to save my child because I love him. Now, fear can keep me from running in there, but love will prevail and allow me to do it. First John 4.18 says, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. And your lack of experience or your lack of expressing this love may be tied to not fully experiencing the love of God itself, the verse ends and says. It may show that you may not be effectively applying the love that you have experienced for God. So if you are afraid to share your story, let me tell you, boldness and courage is not what you need. What you need is love. We, we think that it's a, it's a, it's a it, it, we, we fear. We're like, oh, I, I'm, just, I'm just not good talking to people, Moises. I, I can't, I'm just not the type of person. I'm too shy. I'm going to pray God to give me courage. I'm going to muscle my way through this thing. Whoo, I got it out of the way. I said it. I feel good. God gave me the courage. And while courage will allow you to do certain things, and it's good to pray for courage, and courage in God is a great thing, love, love would really, really direct you in the right way. What are you willing to do so that people you know will go to heaven? Because your mission field is all around you. And the Bible says, make the most of every opportunity to tell others about the good news. Be wise in all your contacts with them. Is anyone going to heaven because of you? We're a lot in God. We, we, we are members of his family, models of his character, magnifiers of his glory, ministers of his grace, messengers of the good news of others. But the one thing we're only going to be allowed to do here on earth is that last one. Messengers of his good news. We only have a short time to share this life-changing message of Jesus and fulfill our mission here on earth. So is it going to be courage or love? You don't even have to share your story with me. And I know you have a story to tell. If God has had any sort of involvement in your life, there's a story for you to share. If you hang around any people in your life and you have neighbors around you, there's a story you're called to share with them. One that brings glory to God. And it's not courage what you're lacking, it's love. The burning desire within you to say, hmm, I need to tell that person about Jesus. We just experienced that this past week as we encounter people. And you see people being mobilized differently. You see people wanting to serve, others wanting to talk, others wanting to pray for people. And you see different people interacting in their own way, but their godly passions are effectively impacting the kingdom of God for the glory of his name. Do me a favor. Pray for more love. You don't hear anything I just said today. Pray for more love. So when that person in need walks by you, your heart jumps out of your chest to want to share with them the life-changing power of Jesus in your life. Amen? Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you because you, you have made us so unique and purpose-filled calling us to carry out this message. Lord, we, we know that our experiences are not in vain, that you want to use those experiences to impact the people around us, God.
And I just pray, Heavenly Father, for you to give us that move within us, that love that we need from inside of us to know that there's a need in front of us and we have a story to share and a gospel to proclaim, God. Lord, this is the inclusive message of your gospel. Lord, help us to have this open door policy to, your, to the need. We want to be the beacon of hope that others are able to turn to. There's a joy and a peace within our hearts as we believe in you that others can anticipate and expect, God. We don't want to hide that away. We are the city on a hill, a light that can never be put out, God. That is what we carry. Every step we take, every journey we go through, God, we are the light. And no darkness can stand in the midst of that. No darkness can quench that light that we carry, Lord. So right now, I just pray that you would just deposit a little bit more of your love within us so that we don't become indifferent. Let us pinpoint and identify the people that we need to minister to, that we need to speak to, that we need to share this loving, changing message with. Thank you, God, for dying on the cross for us for dealing with our sins the way you did, for taking our place and giving us this opportunity afterwards to proclaim this kingdom here on earth. We can't wait to share it, God. Continue the mighty work that you're doing in our lives so that we could tell others about it. We thank you, God, and we pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen and amen.